Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this theater. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily upset. We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next 90 seconds. Good evening. Welcome back to another episode of the Video Nasty Project. Tonight we are going to be reviewing Flesh for Frankenstein, alternately known as Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, although Andy Warhol really had nothing to do with it. Since 1910, 55 films have featured or referenced the creature of Frankenstein, and this one, hands down, gives us the nastiest, goriest, necrophilia-filled film of them all. If you're ready to fuck death in the gallbladder, let's watch the trailer. Andy Warhol's Frankenstein is here. Newsweek magazine calls it the first original Frankenstein in years, a perversely fascinating movie. And so we just got done watching Flesh for Frankenstein, a.k.a. Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. Mm. You'll notice that, in fact, there's Ian. But that's not, in fact, uh, uh, Brad. No, I'm not. I'm very not Brad. This is my good friend, Jeff. I'm Jeff Harris. The master and commander of the Fanboy News Network. Yeah, over 50 episodes of that show. Uh, we're only on like episode 10 or 12 here, I think. You'll get there. Give it time. Yeah. It's, it's not a race. It's a marathon. Mm -hmm. So, you want to talk us through it a little bit? Movie opens with children. Actually, movie opens with spider. Spider. And then creepy spider and then creepy children. Creepy right. children. Uh, it moves on. You see them mucking about in a laboratory-like setting, but it's not the laboratory. It's almost like their own little My First Mad Scientist laboratory. It's the yeah. Fisher-Price laboratory yeah, and yeah. guillotine set. Yeah, because the guillotine, the whole, the hole is much smaller than its doll size as opposed to person size, so they obviously do this an awful lot. The fact that they gimmick the doll so that it bleeds when the head is cut off. Yeah. Which is where that scene no, goes. No, these are very not right children. No. But that's okay because it's a very not right movie. Oh. Everybody in this movie's broken. Yes. Pretty much. Uh, pretty much follows the the vague Frankenstein story arc. 
yes. that you've got the mad scientist who, interestingly enough, is not actually ever identified as Frankenstein. It says in the credits, but they only call him the Baron. They never actually say Baron Frankenstein, which I thought was weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, I've seen this in later movies, the vampire movies that never use the word vampire. Zombie words out of fashion. Yeah. yeah. But in this case, it, it almost seems like, I don't, I almost like they were worried people couldn't pronounce it correctly. That's okay. Udo can barely pronounce anything correctly. I love his pronunciation of uh, laboratory versus lavatory. Yeah, well, it's so it's Udo Kerr, yeah. who prior to this was the star of Andy Warhol's Dracula. So there's a sense of continuity there. And right. Both movies are equally weird. They also share sets and talent. Yeah. They were shot at nearly Well, pretty the same much back time. to back. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so the Baron's up to doing his nefarious things. He is building, actually, two monsters this time, technically. Mm -hmm. um, he calls them zombies. And you've got the luscious lady uh, Frankenstein monster and the uh, man Frankenstein monster. And his plan, apparently, is to eugenics. It, it, it's totally Very eugenic. Unique. I mean, it's uncomfortably eugenics. He's creating these creatures to father a master race that will take over the world and replace humanity, which A, means he doesn't actually understand how reproduction works, but that's fine. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, he's got his plan. He's really dedicated and sure. <laughs> Considering that his idea of, of, of creating the, the, genetic, the genetic match for perfect children involves di putting together cobbling together a man from various other from various the bodies. ideal man yes but the only thing that really is important in the whole element of it is is the dna from the sperm which is you know one person yeah and one person only the arms the head none of that matters well but he has a perfect nasum yeah, the, the obsession with the nose is oh. is weird. But then again, in this movie, the obsession with damn near anything is weird. Weird, <laughs> yes. But I guess the, the point from that is, yeah, he's going about his normal things, but he needs that perfect head. And he's he needs somebody who has strong sexual prowess and instincts. Of course, then. So then we meet our, uh, the, the two... Not Frankenstein people. The uh, the the guy from New York, and then his friend, his Serbian friend, and but it turns out the brain he winds up stealing from the Serbian friend turns out to be asexual at the very least, probably gay. I've I read it very much gay coding. Right. In this, the the for the era, they never come out and say it, but this is the era when these things are strongly hinted. Uh, the fact that they have a scene in a whorehouse and the, the friend from New York has two girls and the Serbian friend is with one girl but can't take his eyes off his friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So instead of getting your normal brain versus abnormal brain that your usual Frankenstein falls into, he winds up, he goes for a straight brain and winds up with a queer brain, which I thought was an interesting twist. Yes. So he puts the the queer brain in well actually the entire head in the one of the worst uh, special effects I've seen in a while. 
grabs the head, puts it on his Frankenstein monster, and then compels the two to mate unsuccessfully because, well... Because the, the male creature just is an indoor. Yeah. No. I think it's worth pointing out, and this was the, a point Ian had mentioned when we were watching the film, the male creature is a cobbled together of several yes. bodies. The female creature mm, seems point. to be a single body. Right. Yes. With just one massive suture up her side. Yeah. Yeah. And what was that really? A... Well, that was just the easy access port for Frankenstein to get his uh, freak on. Yes. Oh, we're jumping ahead. Oh, sorry. I think we really should mention the Baroness. At the this Baroness. Because she has been introduced at this point. Right. I think the important thing about the Baroness isn't just that she is Frankenstein's wife. It's that she's Frankenstein's sister. And wife. Yeah. And yeah. wife. With kids. With kids, yes. The creepy kids are, in fact, the product of incest. Mm -hmm. Another taboo box that has been ticked. You know, I think... Okay, Mary Shelley, in back in the 1800s, could have never written anything like this. But I think that she would have very much approved of the social taboo flipping that this movie does. Well, if you read the original Frankenstein... Mm. One thing, especially if you're able to get yourself in the mindset of somebody from that era, mm -hmm. is the pervasive sense of blasphemy that she has towards what the doctor is doing. Right. And, and that conveys throughout there. So the whole idea of what uh, Baron Frankenstein is doing is blasphemous is, in fact, the right way to keep to the spirit of the original book. Yeah. Um, one of the things uh, that I hit upon, and it's uh, I looked at this from the the novel from Shelley's writing, uh, 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 the creature, uh, and this is something the creature says because in in Shelley's presentation of the story, the creature is a very sentient, mm -hmm. articulate fellow. articulate fellow, yeah, and Sasha, the, the guy whose head is used in this, he speaks and rationalizes as well, but in the original. Um, here is a bit from the creature. Hateful day when I received life, I exclaimed in agony. Accursed creator, why did you form a monster so hideous that even you turned from me in disgust? God, in pity, made man beautiful and alluring after his own image. But my form is filthy, is a filthy type of yours, more horrid even from the very resemblance. Satan had his companions fellow devils to admire and encourage him but i am solitary and abhorred it's a social commentary right yeah. yeah. and the, the social commentary is consistent here but it's talking about the sexual mores not yeah not the not the political social standing mores yeah although yeah. there certainly was i in my notes when we were watching it is there is the threat of class warfare yes oh, very From clearly very right. i mean one of the early plot points is that the Baroness has pulled the children out of school mm -hmm. because she's aghast that lower-class children are allowed in the school as well yeah. and doesn't want her children associating with that right. riffraff. And like how Frankenstein, his uh, he was barred from playing with the kids on the way to school. He was pretty much a, a generational thing. Well, and but he, and he even called them creatures. Yeah, there was that separation. So, so class is clearly a factor in this movie, mm -hmm. but it takes uh, a backseat to the eugenics aspect and the fact that this movie was looking how many taboos can we break? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, which you know, let's let's look at taboo because we've gotten to the point of okay, we've we've hit the main plot points. Right. You know, uh, put put head of gay man on creature, mm -hmm. try and get them to mate. It's not working, and I think it's important to point out his friend gets a job in the castle, mainly because the Baroness wants somebody to fuck. Pretty much. And mm. he, of course, then catches a glimpse at dinner of his friend, six inches taller. And, and also the night after he'd been decapitated. Yeah. So he's looking for him. But from that on, it's, all right, how many different weird issues are we going to deal with we have well let's go through them all right so we already have incest right mm -hmm. we have necrophilia because mm -hmm. the baron has sex with the female creature before resurrection although her eyes opened i think that was weird i think that's a sexual awakening i think that's a metaphor for her becoming sexually aware all right yeah but um, still necrophilia right uh what else we have rape uh, Rape does appear in the movie. Although Otto's idea of sex is now associated permanently with what he saw the doctor doing, which is, I must have my hands inside mm -hmm. fondling the internal organs. So, he, he, yeah, he's a bad yeah. date. Yeah. Very bad. You know, no second dates for him. Right. Yeah. Uh, we have, uh, what else do we have? We, well, the homosexuality itself for the era right. was very much a taboo. And I guess the other thing I would go to is, again, they do, they make it a taboo about the, the social strata. Right. Yeah. Although that's less, I think even in the era, that was less an issue, but they do seem to, I mean, they refer to the, the, the upper class refer to the lower class as filthy creatures. Right, right. So, well, and then there was the armpit thing. Ah, the armpit thing. <laughs> there is one more social, uh, I suppose, aspect that the the movie is very much us trying to emulate the Hammer Horror style. Sure. It's very gothic, very stylish, very slick. In Hammer Horror, you generally, when you have females, they're really voluptuous, ultra-sex kittens. So you go to the whorehouse and you have really old prostitutes and, I mean, and just kind of, you know, not very sexy and alluring. So it's almost like uh, um, Morrissey, the director, said, aha, you're here to be titillated? Fine, have some tits, some old nasty sagging tits. I thought that was an interesting take. Well, t I mean, the oddity is that was probably the most realistic part of the movie. Probably. That's what the prostitutes were probably like. Although I think you hit on the other issue with this movie. For a movie that had so much in the way of nudity mm -hmm. and sex, it was a very unsexy movie. Very unsexy. Yeah. I had to like try masturbating at least three times to the first time I saw this and just just couldn't. You had to go there. It, it's but it, it, I mean it is. It's I'm seeing going. Yeah, I'm the, the sex scenes in particular were generally repulsive on some yeah. level. Yeah. <sighs> You, you did hit upon it exactly. Um, the nudity is there for the sake of, we need nudity in the film. Just do it. Don't get no... Sex is associated with the nudity. Obviously, the talent isn't comfortable with doing it. They're okay with being nude, but they're not okay with the simulated sex. Although, uh, our New Yorker 
didn't have much issue with it. True. He, he, he but, gave it his all. But we did have the, I mean, one scene with the Baroness where it's like, oh, right, I'm supposed to look sexy now. And you can see her trying to Just look kinda, sexy. Yeah, and leaning and it, back. It not and, happening. Yeah. yeah. So we've been, t- uh, with all of this, I think one thing we need to point out, there is one thing this movie does really well. Mm-hmm. And that is its set design oh, and it its cinematography. Gorgeous. Yes. Um, one of the things, one of the things that caught, caught attention is to my attention and I brought up during viewing, um, in all of the Frankenstein films out there, how many times has a water tank appeared where a body is taken out of a water tank and there's only one other film. I can think of one other film and it came after this movie. It, I, Frankenstein's lab here in this movie had a very strong Rocky Horror vibe to it. Or I suppose Rocky Horror had a very strong flesh for Frankenstein vibe to it. Yes, the the the, the set similarity between what we see here and Rocky Horror Picture Show, the mesh. They've got a tank. They've got Statue of David up on the wall. That's a two leveled balcony thing. All it needs is a bunch of transvestite uh, from transsexual people up there, yeah. and it would have been Rocky and Horror a, and an ice cooler and an ice cooler. Yeah. yeah. Well. Considering that this came out two years before, right. there's a really strong chance that it was a visual uh, influence. I, I will say that uh, the the water tank has been used since, I think most prominently in Penny Dreadful, oh, that I can think of. Yes. Which also, just for a moment, because you're talking about the articulate creature. Mm-hmm. Real quick plug, if you've never seen the show Penny Dreadful, it has the most book-accurate depiction of the creature you're ever going to come across his physical appearance most closely matches the book and his uh uh articulation most mm. closely matches the okay. book but that's that is the case of we're talking about something far better than the movie we're watching <laughs> and that's i think an attempt to escape we have to keep talking about this movie because i still have notes yes um um, as, but as far as composition and whatnot goes, I mean, I loved the dinner table scene where the camera just starts and pans along and then pans back. So it's a very cleverly constructed movie. I really, it's really gorgeous looking. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the visual aspects of this movie, um, and from again from cinematography and set design, that work was mm-hmm. was top notch. Uh, it's just that the rest of the movie put around it had a lot of issues and i think part of it was you, you try and think well what was the message the filmmaker was trying was there a message or was it just you know what we're just going to try and be weird for weird's sake right yeah. I, I think there was a lot of that it was well the way that uh david morrissey wrote the movie was he came in originally and said okay we're kind of just going to improvise our way through the story First day of shooting, that didn't work out. So he wound up the next day, every morning he would write out that, you know, that page script. And so it was very much written on the fly. So any message probably would have been accidental. Well, and see, now that's, uh, again, hearkening back to some of Warhol's Mm -hmm. early work. I know that we pretty much assume that Warhol just wrote a check and dealt with distribution, but... I think we had determined that the New Yorker was part of Warhol's stable, right? Yeah. part of his factory. And Warhol did a lot of film that were improvisation. In fact, I'm still thinking, I would have to go check, but I think the actor from this movie, I don't remember the name of the Warhol film, but it was effectively an adaptation of Clockwork Orange, Okay, where he locks down a camera in a room 
just it it never moves and the actors move around it and it's a largely improvised adaptation of a clockwork orange so we know warhol himself was very mm -hmm. fond of attempts at improvisational filmmaking right well that's okay i know, really don't know much about the factory andy warhol's factory aside from what i the reading i did for this movie but it does seem very much a 70s free love let's just do whatever the hell we want uh you know in our loft hmm. well and also i mean again Obviously, there's a reason we remember Warhol. He was pushing boundaries, and some of it obviously hit right. quite well, but, you know, not everything stuck against the wall. And this, I think, was an attempt by someone to mimic Warhol's style without necessarily having Warhol's vision. Yeah. Um, Morrissey was in that, it was a part of the stable from the production end. When when Andy Warhol wanted to make something more, uh, I think his name's like Paul Morrissey. Right. Um, he he was the one who was directing the pieces. Um, the 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 whole element going to Europe um, it, uh, was a part of uh, trying to introduce them more European flavor to things. And it's like uh, Joe Dallas Delisandro. I'm butchering his name. The New Yorker. Um, it was upon the completion of this film in Blood for Blood for Dracula, he didn't want to return to New York. He stayed in Europe because he wanted a, he wanted a career. He saw a career possibility, and he knew he wasn't going to get it if he just stayed in the stable. Well, I mean, that's fair. A lot of Warhol's superstars did eventually branch out. Yeah, uh, and some of them ended up having great careers, and others ended up uh, inspiring. Uh, you know, Soul Asylum songs. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> or, yeah, the, the Asylum, sorry. Right, right. <laughs> There's actually a group out there, the name of the group is Flesh for Frankenstein. Well, there's and the they took it from this movie. There's the Dandy Warhols. I, I was thinking of the song Edie about uh, one of the, the superstars, but yeah. that's me being a music nerd now, sorry. Did we like the movie? So here's my take on the movie overall. Okay. It's not a good movie. I cannot go so far as to say this was a good movie, but as an artifact of the era and to really see what some of the envelope pushing of the era is, it's a fascinating artifact to watch. It's basically, I wouldn't recommend it for anyone that wants to see a good movie, but I would recommend it for anyone who wants to see what some of the attempts at filmmaking outside of the normal bounds were at the time. Okay. I'm going to go with, okay, so when you have a movie that is so bad it's good, usually there's one or two really what-the-fuck moments where this one is pretty much non-stop what-the-fuck moments. So it's so mental, so bizarre, so over-the-top. I agree. I don't think it's necessarily a good movie, but it's certainly a spectacle to be seen. So I'm going to go yay tentatively. From a technical standpoint, it is it is shot well. Um, there are brief moments where, because the film was shot in 3D, you have these in-your-face moments. Um, they, they cast actors who could act. Mm -hmm. They weren't people who had no acting ability. 
Um, but oh my god, Udo Kier is so over the top. Uh, Frankenstein generally is an over the top part. I can't think of an at Frankenstein that ever played it reserved. This guy goes up to 12. His perfect nose. His perfect nose. He had the perfect brain. He was the king I wanted and we failed. Yes, yes, he very certainly does. He's He is, he's somebody who, uh, in every role he's done, he gives it his all. Mm-hmm. Um, so acting, editing, cinematography, it's all done well. Set design, I mean, the designer did a wonderful job, but the story is where I'm lost. So I'm like, okay, I can see what you were trying to do, but you're... It's like a whole bunch of half-completed thoughts. It's very disjointed. Yeah, it's where my brain keeps going with it. It's just like, all right, I can't say that this is. I'm not. I have to go with with what he's with with Jeff. Jeff saying, if you want to see a product of the era, to see the filmmaking style, mm-hmm. here's something you would watch for that. If you want to see a good Frankenstein story, no. So. Does it belong on the video nasty list? Again, if we're trying to put ourselves in the mindset of a blue-haired old British lady in the 80s, mm-hmm. it's breaking every taboo. There's necrophilia. There's homosexuality. There's incest. Uh, I, you know, forget the sex. Forget the the nudity. Forget the gore. It's social. It's pushing too many social buttons. So from that point of view, I see them wanting to censor it for right. that. And then you throw on the layer of gore because it is a very moist movie. Frankenstein getting his hand cut off and the blood squirting. <laughs> the head decapitation, it is moist. And a, a lot of chests rip open and a lot more organs than would normally be in a human body falling out. Yeah. So I'm... Yeah, if I had to pick one, I would say put it on the nasty list. Yeah, I, I, I this is one based on the proper nasty parameters certainly fits. Right. Yeah, it does. Um, going to court and trying to persecute somebody for it? No. Yeah, that's a little excessive. But then yeah. all of these have been a little excessive, so. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's definitely, it's not something where they just pasted Frankenstein on it. Yeah. No. It's, it's, it is a Frankenstein-themed movie in all the right ways. It's just the execution was... A little kludgy. 90 degrees from normal. No. Yeah. And at the very least, I now want to go watch the uh, Andy Warhol's Dracula just to see how batshit crazy that one is, too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, you know what? Having also seen that movie... Uh, you let me know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I guess that's uh, that wraps it up for us then. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Good night. Hey, podcast fans. This is what I actually look like. I'm sorry. I'll cut you. I'll cut, I'll cut you. I'll put you on the cutting room floor. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Even... <laughs> There'll be a black box right here. <laughs> there we go. I'll just, I'll just do... No, I can do the, uh, the, the, the uh, pixelated out face. Right. Run your voice through a modulator. <laughs> Hey, I want to thank everybody for watching the Video Nasty Project this evening and our dissection of the flesh for Frankenstein. Please like, share, or subscribe, and please come back next week to see our next review.